do something irreverent. How about what's the best meal you've ever had, Caitlin? It's a meal. Oh, man. I had that moment where I thought about it. I think it was in Toronto. I can't remember. We had, there was a few. Toronto definitely has, like, the best food. And, I mean, like, I've eaten in, like, Europe and the U.S. and Canada and in uh, Central America and, like, yeah, there's just something about like Toronto is a huge competitor. I can't remember what it was. I'm just going to say like Toronto probably has like my favorite food. I was just talking to Helen about missing Toronto's food. You know, the best part of, I mean, we haven't been there in eight years, but uh, it's the awesomeness to price ratio. Because like, I mean, never mind fine dining and sort of like these uh, hot spots, but uh, we still live in Scarborough and you can get like this, I'm going to gesture, it doesn't come out in the audio, but you can get like a fucking roadie this big. It was like five bucks, you know, add on some doubles and, and you're just sitting there uh, and you can eat reasonably well for a reasonable cost, which is surprising for a city of that size. But there's such a diverse, uh, not just multicultural thing, but an economy of food where, you know, the competition uh, makes people stretch a little bit and, you know, you can get a reasonably priced uh, amazing experience at a mom pop shop or at a you know a fancier uh, well-reviewed yelp type of place chow hound whatever your poison is but um yeah i kind of miss that the food is so phenomenal and like you said like you can get something like so good for nothing and i just think it's like there's um at least in canada there's a larger like diverse population and um more opportunity which is so weird because you would think like the rent would like i don't know but i'm assuming like the rent to have a space there is insane. But I even remember like, uh, there's one like, um, I think it's a Mexican place in Kensington. And I went in and it was just like mind blowing and it cost nothing. And I was just like, how do you do this? But it was literally just like the tiniest, longest, hottest room I've ever been in. Being like a family style, like it just had like one long table with like a bunch of chairs and they were just like sit here and like, and it was so quick, but so good. My Viewfinder is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode was brought to you by the Calgary Foundation. Whether it's funding anti-racism programs, addiction recovery, or food hampers for the hungry, for 65 years, the Calgary Foundation has proudly supported the charitable community to address some of Calgary's biggest challenges. Now, during this period of unprecedented urgent needs, Calgary Foundation renewed its commitment to building a healthy, vibrant, giving, caring, and resilient community. If you're a registered charity looking for a grant, a professional advisor creating a giving plan for your client, or a donor wanting to give back to community, discover a wealth of resources at calgaryfoundation.org and learn more about their work through Calgary Foundation's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. How does one define their self? It's a fascinating question that has troubled philosophers and psychologists for many years. With the influx of photography, imagery, and now social media, this has become more complex than ever. My guest today is my friend Caitlin Mormon. Two years ago, she built a life-size self-portrait for a photography show on identity. The catch was that she took that image and displayed it through obscured glass. Uh, There's a metaphor there, I think. Here's the first part of my chat with Caitlin. 
We'll start with where she comes from and how she approached the subtle art of self-searching through self-portraiture. I watched this video uh, trying to explain to me how inflation works. And I've been having this sense lately in general that I have to stop talking about the stuff because I don't understand the nuances of sort of globalized po uh, politics and economics. But I've never understood the idea of uh, inflation and national debt, this idea that every single country is indebted somehow in trillions of dollars. And it's like, who, who holds the debt? Like, yeah, like I can't comprehend how... Like even Canada, there's so many things I dislike about what appears to be right. Uh, but I actually like, I can't understand how anyone makes any decisions at all. The whole thing scares the shit out of me. Even like when I was studying history, like I, I read a lot of what I studied was like why people buy what they buy. Mm. Um, so like what forms of cultural, social, nationalistic things in in politics, in consumer goods and marketing, all that stuff. Like, why do we buy things as Canadians? Like why, you know, this idea of like Canada being like polite and uh, like humble and all these things. And then like our economy has always been like one staple, like constantly. And so then when it fails, we don't know what to do. And then we have to find a new one or like we find a new one and the old one gets retired where those people get pushed aside kind of thing, as opposed to like diversifying and, you know, places like Newfoundland, my sister lives there and they're like a welfare province basically, because like they're not allowed to fish anymore. So there's no local economy. Tourism doesn't make enough. It's, too, it's so expensive to go there. So like getting tourists to go there is difficult and they're so isolated and you know, people will make fun of Newfies as to who they are. And like, if you grow up in a system where it's like, you're not going to do any better than welfare or minimum wage, or you're going to have to travel for work, you're going to have to move away and come back. Like, that's just the economy. Like people move, they live elsewhere for decades, and then they come home to their family property that they own. Their house is usually falling apart. They rebuild it and then they just retire there. And then their kids do the same thing. And all the, you know, like distribution payments have to go from different provinces to other provinces based on that stuff. But it's like, why can't there be money injected into a local economy somehow? Like, there's got to be something that they can offer. And same with Alberta, like oil and gas can't be our only thing. I, one of the things I'm learning is that you can only help people who are willing to be helped. So that's not to load this on Newfoundlanders, for example, but it's a hard thing to ask the question, like, what is it that uh, a struggling state can offer that the ex you know the outside world is interested in and you know to the point this is kind of the conversation i wanted to have with you because this morning i woke up full of anxiety with the exact same thoughts about myself uh which is uh yeah i mean you know it's funny it's like a, a metaphor of where i'm at right now i i don't know what i can offer that will be marketable or that will generate interest to the general public to invest in me. Now, a lot of that is, you know, like a, a stereotype of artist self-deprecation, I'm sure. But there is something, it's funny we're talking about this because, I mean, it makes sense because this is sort of what I was thinking about this morning. Um, you know, am I Newfoundland? I don't know. I, uh, I no. think like it comes down to, again, like this uh, lack of support socially and also like the province that we live in. And like you're from Ontario, you're from like you were living in Toronto, right? So you went from like 
one big capitalist city to like another, right? And um, my friend Julia, I think you might have, she ran our like five art merchandise. Her whole practice as an artist is on, or not like lately is on boredom and like this idea that boredom and like being unproductive is a negative thing. But yet, how do you create if you're so busy, like just trying to make ends meet? And so like her whole thing is she, she knows all these artists who have things to offer, can diversify the economy, but they can't because they can't make ends meet in Alberta. So they have to work minimum wage jobs, you know, are now first like their um, frontline workers when they just never agreed to do that. And there's no time to kind of do your own practice unless you starve. And then you have these things, these feelings uh, of self-worth where it's like, well, I'm not making money or I'm not practicing what I want to do or, you know, just like all these things that just continually push people down. And I think like when I started taking photos, like, I mean, I've had a, I don't know if you want to go into this, but I'll kind of just give background. So like when I was a kid, my mom is a painter. And so like I painted, she put me in classes at like three because I was interested went until I was 18. Never really like figured it out. Like I developed all the technical skills. Um, I was always trying to make everything photo real and like very like struggled so hard with it because I was like, I just, this isn't perfect enough. And I, after I stopped or like after high school, um, I stopped doing classes outside of high school and I stopped doing classes in high school because I was done. And then I was just like, I just stopped painting because I was like, I don't, I don't have a practice and I didn't really know what that was at 18. Um, and I don't really know what I want to paint and I don't know why I want to paint. I just know that like, I really like that flow state. Like I just really like getting in, it's like meditative, but to me that wasn't enough because I was like, I have to get a job. I have to make money. I'm done high school. I wasn't going to university right away. So I was like, I just have to go work. And then at the end of the day, I didn't want to do anything. Like I didn't want to create anything and I didn't see the value in it. I didn't see the value in that like self-care that I was getting from it. And I'd had a camera since I was seven. Like my parents, I used to take theirs and take photos of everything and film was a thing. So they were like, okay, like we're going to give you a camera. We're going to give you a point and shoot. You buy your own film with your like tour money essentially. And that's, that's how you figure it out. So like I used to spend all my like allowance on film and, and development, but like it was always just like a background thing. Like I just really liked taking photos of whatever was going on. And I still have a lot of those photos of a lot of those negatives. I went through one period of my life where I purged a bunch because I was like, I'll never need these. And I like regret that so much. But um, yeah, it, it, you know, I didn't do anything for about 10 years, anything creative. And other than like, you know, I, I picked at things. I've always kind of had like hobbies that are like craft-like or, you know, um, focused on like making. And then when I was in university, I started as I couldn't justify going back unless I had like a vocation. So I went back to be a teacher and I entered into like a concurrent teaching and English degree. And then I really struggled with English because I was like, I remember that's when uh, Alison Redford got voted in. And I was just like, I feel like I'm in my twenties and I don't know anything about politics or the country or any of this stuff. And a lot of like English is also similar to history. Like they're the same thing where you analyze documents, you analyze who wrote them in what period and why they say the things they do and what and how people interpreted that. So I didn't realize that at the time, but I took a Canadian history course because I was just like, I don't feel politically like informed. So I took a history course and it was just like an intro into Confederation till now. And 
so many things just resonated and it started to give me a lot of like insight into like my own personal history, how my parents got here, how, you know, some of their parents got here. And I was like, this is what I've been missing. And so I dove into it and I, I really enjoyed it and I was doing really well. And there was an opportunity to do an honors program, which you write a thesis. And so I, I reached out, so I switched my major and then I reached out to like the, the administration and I said, um, can I do this thesis while I'm in this concurrent program? Because the concurrent program is, uh, fa- it was like fast track. And they said, no. So they were like, if you want to do the thesis, then you need to do that. And then you need to apply to the post um, degree, I guess, for education. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm just enjoying this. And as, and I struggled so much because I was like, even just to tell like family members, I was like, I'm not going to be a teacher, maybe. I was like, I just want to do history. And they were like, why? Like, you're in your 20s, Caitlin. Like, you know, get married, have a family, stop going to school, get a job, like all these things. And I was just like, I don't know, like something doesn't feel right about that path. So I'm just going to do this and see where it, where it goes. And really loved it, got a lot out of it. And then I was in my third year and I had to take a step back and just go really part-time because like I couldn't afford to be in school full-time. I needed to work as well. So started working at that cafe, uh, Gravity. And then I was just like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> like getting, getting closer to 30, don't have a degree, feel like I'm never going to finish this degree, enjoying it, but like so racked with um, where I'm going in my life. And then I saw that there was like a master's in architecture, which uh, I'm really interested in architecture. So I took a few courses and then um, I needed to develop a portfolio to apply. And I was like, I'm in no way prepared to start drawing and painting again. I just don't feel like I can. And they said like the portfolio can be anything. It doesn't have to even be architectural. It's like, you just need to show that you're, you have a creative ability. So some people did textiles, some people did uh, photography. So then I was like, oh, I have a camera and I know how to use it. So maybe I'll do that. And so I just started going out and taking photos of everything. Cause I was like, I don't really know what I like. So I started just walking around downtown, taking photos. Um, it took a while to get to portraiture just cause I didn't feel comfortable like asking people to pose or even like taking photos of people. And, and then as I was doing that, I'm like, this is it. This is what I've wanted. Like this hits on the creative stuff that I've been missing um, more than writing because like with history, writing it is creative to a degree because you have to like think of a bunch of things and then put it together in your opinion and understand your opinion but yeah I was just like this is what's missing so I took a film class because I had wanted to learn how to develop my own film in high school and I never did and then I was just like yeah this is it I'm going to keep going and I took classes with Donna and then Donna's classes touched on the research and and concept element because I was still like what am I taking photos of? I'm taking photos of buildings. I'm really obsessed with taking straight on, making it as flat as possible, making it feel like a 2D painting. And I was able to achieve what I couldn't in painting because it was photo real. And, but I was just like, what's the point? Like, I'm not, this isn't marketable. Uh, I can't make money at this. This isn't getting me any closer. I decided I didn't want to do the master's in architecture. And I was still like going through my history degree and I was just like, what am I doing? What am I doing with my life? And going into those classes with Donna and doing like the research aspect kind of opened that up, opened up my eyes a little bit because it was more like history. It was a field of study. It's like you think about why you're like, you either take the photos and you think about them afterwards, or you think about like what you want to take photos of and why and who, who you are and should you be saying these things. And, and that kind of just developed things. And then um, the biggest project I did was 
at, in my last year because um, my thesis had been taking so long. I had to defer it. I was like struggling so hard to work, do this thesis, continue doing photography. And I was kind of just like beating myself up, like I'm never going to finish this. I'm going to not finish school, not have a degree, have a bunch of debt, not have a, a practice that makes any money. And so it was all driven by this idea of like, I need to make money. And I turned 30 and leading up to that, f finished my thesis, um, finished a language requirement that I didn't think was going to happen, like I challenged an exam in French and somehow miraculous, like I passed it, even though I don't speak French. <laughs> and then I was in this photo class of Donna's and we had the opportunity to show our work. And so leading up to it, I was just like, I, I'm so curious as to why I'm so obsessed with this like turning 30 thing. Like it's stressing me out so much. I've, I feel like I haven't accomplished anything, um, even though I had, but I was just feeling so lost. And like at 30, I should have a different life. So she was like, well, what do you want to photograph? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I have no idea. <clears throat> so I just started taking photos of myself and my day to day. Um, and I think you came to that show. And even leading up to it, I was just like, I turned like I turned 30 in the middle of it. And I was like, well, Donna, I turned 30. And I'm like, not really like, I kind of don't care anymore. <laughs> like, I didn't die. I'm still here. Things will work out. My thesis is done. I, I'm like going to graduate. And she was like, you still have to do it. So I was like, okay. So I kept doing it. And then it was the editing process of taking all the photos. I was just like, how does this make sense? Like, I don't, I don't know what I want to put up. I'd taken photos of family and friends and work and uh, like physical aspects. Cause like, that's a thing with aging. <laughs> and I had all these, so I printed everything like four by six and then I laid it out and I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. And Donna like, went through and she was like kind of like poking around and like pulling and helping me curate it. And then she was like, it looks kind of like um, movie film where there was like duplicates that were slightly different and it was like moving through a process. So yeah, then I ended up making this really long piece, had to install it. Um, and then our class, uh, we had an opening and, and she was like, when do you guys want your opening? And they're like, I don't know, like a Monday at noon. And I'm like, no one will come. And no one comes, like a lot of people don't go to the shows at the UFC art space because it's like, no one knows where it is. No one knows what's going on there and no one markets themselves. And I was like, well, I'm going to advertise this and like people will come. And she was like, okay. And so then I was like, well, like, let's do Monday evening at least to get people to come. And then I think like 40 people came through and she was surprised and I was surprised and um, I got a lot out of that, not in, like in showing my work, the thing that I get out of it is hearing what other people have to say. So like my whole thing, everything I do is to self-reflect. So now when I take photos or I start projects, it's like, why do I want to do this? And then after I look at the work, I'm like, why? And I've built bodies, I've built shows off of things that I've just shot and then figured out kind of after the fact, like, what am I taking photos of? Like, I'll just like give myself the freedom. I'm like, this is the subject matter. Like even the show that we did uh, downtown, it's like, you know, urban areas are the subject matter. So I was like, okay. So I just went and shot everything. And then I was like, well, what's standing out to me and kind of develop something from there. And then I really like hearing what people have to say, like along the process and after it's hanging and I don't get offended. Like if someone's like, I don't like it. I'm like, okay, that means nothing to me until you tell me why. Same with if they're like, I love it. And it's like, thank you, but why? Like, I just want to know why. And then that kind of like allows like, um, like me to reflect on what they're saying about the work and 
makes me think differently about my own work and self and, and whatnot. But uh, that, that's what led into like the, the portrait that I did because um, Curtis reached out and was going to do a show on women. And so initially I was like, well, what about like, you know, something that Donna's talked about and something that, you know, several of the speakers talked about in um, the Exposure Studio sessions is just like, who are you? What can you say? What can you do? And why should people care? And I struggle with the why because it always goes back to that like kind of monetization. It's like, well, why would people buy this? Why would people do this? And I've stopped like trying to create to sell. So when I was doing the show for, or like doing the application for Curtis, initially it was like a completely different project. I wanted to do like light and shadow off of like, like just like macro shots of like um, myself and, and see what it looked like. And then I did a lot of research and was looking around and I'm like, women are always photographed like this. This is always, it's like, they're always like, there's nudity. It's always like, you know, like it's changed a little bit since, but a lot of it is very much like, it has to be beautiful. It has to be like sensual. And I was like, that doesn't feel like me. (laughs) And I already struggle putting my picture out there. And that's why I continually push myself to do it. Like I struggle having like photos of myself up. It makes me really uncomfortable. Um, So I was talking to Costas uh, about printing and he's like, well, if I'm like, what size, you know, I was still going to do the macro shots. And then I'm like, you know, what's the cost? Cause I'm funding this and I'm like just of a school and broke. <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, if you print past this certain size, you have to do 40 by 60 inches. And I was like 40 by 60. And then I'm like, I'm, you know, like that's almost five feet and I'm just over five feet. And I was like, what if I did like a life size portrait and going back to that show I did about being 30, I remember like I blew up photos of my face and they were bigger than life size. And Donna said like, that says something like you have to think about like, why are you doing this? Are you just making them big because you want them to be big? But it says something like if it's bigger than life. So I was like, this says something about life size. It's like, this is me. This is like my um, physical self. And as I was shooting initially, again, I was like trying to do these things where I was like, wearing like nude colors and all these things. And I'm like, why am I, this isn't me. Like I wear mostly black. And so I just like put on black clothing. And then after I had like taken the photos, like I want to blur it um, with the glass in front, just so that I wanted people to reflect on it um, because the show changed and it became about identity. And so I was like, well, my identity, like when I look at photos of myself, I feel something like the time period, what I was going through emotionally, like if it's in the environment, like what I was doing, how that felt. Um, So I reflect a lot on seeing myself in photos. And I was like, it'd be interesting to create something that's kind of blurry. It looks like a person. And I wanted people to reflect on that. And um, I didn't really hear any, I, I heard some feedback, but it would have been great to just like hear what people thought. I remember like one of my coworkers was like, what's wrong with you? Why are you blurring your image? Why are you so uncomfortable. And I was like, these are the things I want to hear. Like that's you projecting onto me. <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's a fascinating project. I, it's something that this whole talk in my mind uh, was going to work around this idea of sort of coming to grips with not just, I suppose, who you are to yourself, but how you present yourself to the world and, uh, and then for you, which I think is fascinating, this feedback loop, because I wonder if my dissatisfaction with uh, social media is that 
people tend to just throw it out, but they don't actually necessarily want to hear what's back. Uh, they kind of want to be encouraged that they are getting something. And if there's anything negative, um, you know, there's just sort of a weird reaction to that. Um, but with art, it's it can potentially become a conversation. I think it's fascinating to hear you put it that way. I, I saw it. I didn't think to call you and have a critique. <laughs> um what stood out to me, I think, in that moment, um, yeah, is this sort of, uh, I don't know, I think you'd put it better, but there's a tension there, right, about um, being sort of brave and courageous enough to build a life-size self-portrait, but also having a shield in between, where I remember you complained a little bit that the uh, diffusion was a little too strong, so it got it a little... It wasn't strong enough. <laughs> I wanted it to be more of like just... A just a silhouette right yeah and then i i like bought it from like an industrial glass place and we did test but we're like we don't know what this is going to look like till it's framed and once it's framed it's done so uh when i saw it i like i'm happy with it uh but overall i was just like this isn't blurry enough <laughs> people are going to see me and i was very uncomfortable like even going to the opening i was very uncomfortable being there i was like oh there i am like because in my mind and I, this is me like projecting on it but it's like it feels very um, showy and egotistical to just have this giant photo of yourself up in a show. And to me, there's more behind that. And I know like, you don't always get to say, you don't get to have these talks or tell people. So I was just like, I was really uncomfortable with that. But then I'm like, this is the whole point is like doing things outside of my comfort zone, letting go of like what I'm projecting, <clears throat> hopefully hearing what other people have to say and then kind of growing from that as opposed to just like feeling insecure about having that out there. Yeah. It's, it's something about self-portraiture. I mean, I, I don't know. I think, I mean, you've already answered this. It sounds like the journey for self-portraiture for you is one of self-discovery rather than um, almost, I don't know. I, how do you phrase what the opposite tr sort of trope building portraiture has been like uh i mean that's a very complicated question because there's editorial stuff and all of this poisonous sort of yeah sexualization of images and uh, politicization of images but when you do i'm gonna say earnest self-portraiture earnest self-reflection yeah there's a fascinating line where you know am i doing this to make myself feel better about myself or does it does it require an audience to give me some kind of feedback about whether I look the right way or appear to know what I'm doing. I, I don't know. I, I definitely uh, have not done it and uh, not sure if I would. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think too, like um, something that I thought about in both the, like something that kind of started the conversation in the, in the show I did about turning 30. And then like when I started thinking about this piece as, ident as identity is, um, a lot of like and this kind of is my overarching like theory of photography too is like you sorry i'm like i have to think about this for a sec um you're the creator and like your bias says something about the work that you do like you you do the work based on a like a certain lens things you have to say based on your own experiences and then people view the work based on their own experiences and that's how they um interpret it and like that's where the to me the art is, is is in the conversation is in the discussion of like 
I did this because of this. They see this because of this. They don't necessarily ever need to meet. Like no one needs to read the artist statement. I can never hear half of what people say or more than half of what people say about it. Um, But it's that discussion and that growth that I think makes art and like a field and a discipline. And then like with both like the 30 project and this project, a lot of my identity, you know, it's, it's about your experiences, but your experiences are also about what people say to you about yourself. And, you know, um, I get so many comments about my parents and, and less now I think as I'm getting older, but when I was younger, it was like, I had strangers asking what ethnicity I was in ways that weren't polite, like literally going through drive throughs at like McDonald's and someone like, you know, the person in the window being like, what are you? And like all these random asks. And I used to feel apologetic and like, oh no, like I'm no, don't worry. Like it's fine. But it's really not fine to just like say these things to people, but that like grows you as a person. And that contributes to your identity. Like the more you hear things, if you don't reflect on them, you just begin to believe them. And that's kind of uh, why I did this too, is like, when I think of my identity, like I've got my own ideas of who I am, but it's also based on, yeah, like what I've been told and like what people say to me constantly. And that comes into play in different parts, usually like with insecurities and whatnot. Um, But yeah, so I just like wanted to put myself out there and see what came back and I guess like try to recontextualize it as opposed to like what I think people say and what I think of myself based on what I hear versus like hearing things and then reflecting on it and actually having a sense of self from that. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and connect with me on social media. My account on Twitter is at MVF Podcast. And if you're on Instagram, you can find me at my viewfinder podcast. Alberta's forests matter to all of us. That's why Alberta's forest industry works to keep them sustainable now and for future generations. By planning 200 years ahead, helping control the spread of fire and disease, and planting and nurturing two trees for every one harvested, we keep our forests standing strong. To learn more about how our forests take care of us and how we take care of them, visit loveabforests.com.